Grace you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, today we're beginning a series, I'm beginning a series in the book of Acts. Uh, the sermon text is the text that uh, Cameron just read. Before we can begin to consider it, let's pray together. Almighty God our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has ascended to your right hand and poured out his spirit upon us. We thank you that he continues to do and to teach through his church, by his spirit. And we pray that as we consider this text this morning, that you would lead and guide us to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, carrying out his mission in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts is the second volume of a two-volume work that begins with the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote his Gospel, and then at some later point he wrote the book of Acts. We know that from the way the two books begin. He begins his Gospel by addressing someone whom he calls Theophilus. That name means lover of God, or loved by God. And it could be the actual name of somebody that he's addressing the book to, It could be a patron, somebody who's helping him write the book. It could be everyone who reads the book he's addressing as a lover of God, because why would you read the Gospel of Luke without uh, being a lover of God and trying to seek God? He tells Theophilus at the beginning of his Gospel how he went about his, how he went about writing the book. He, uh, he investigated everything and he set everything out in order. And then at the beginning of Acts, he addresses Theophilus again the same addressee for the second volume of his book. And he tells Theophilus that in this new book, this second volume, he's going to tell what Jesus continues to do and teach. What he actually says is, in the first volume, I told you what Jesus began to do and teach. That's the gospel. But that implies that the second volume, the book of Acts, is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. We call this book the Acts of the Apostles, but we could call it the Continuing Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like Jesus is the main actor in the book of Acts. After all, Jesus is there only for about half a chapter. You've read, uh, you've just heard the part of the book of Acts where Jesus is actually present with his disciples. And then he disappears. He goes away from them after a handful of verses. He doesn't appear in any teaching capacity. He doesn't do any healings. He doesn't cast out any demons. He doesn't raise anybody from the dead. The spirit of Jesus is active. And the apostles talk a lot about Jesus. But the only thing Jesus himself says after this first chapter is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? confronting Saul on the road to Damascus. This doesn't look like the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if you started the, the, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, Tolkien's first volume of the, of the Ring trilogy, by saying, we're going to tell you the continuing adventures of Bilbo Baggins. But those of you who know the story know that it's not about the continuing adventures of Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo is in the first few chapters, and then he literally 
disappears. He's gone. He pops up again later. But it's not about the story of Bilbo's adventures. It's the story of Frodo's adventures and the adventures of the Fellowship of the Ring. But that's what Luke has done. He's written a book that has Jesus in it only in a bit part. But he's told us at the beginning that this is about the continuing works of Jesus. The only thing he does, the only thing Jesus does really in the book is disappear. He leaves. He vanishes. He's not the only biblical hero that vanishes before his work appears to be done. And Luke writes the account of the ascension of Jesus in a way that recalls some of those departing Old Testament heroes. Moses brought Israel out of Egypt He brought them to the edge of the promised land, into the land of Moab, just on the eastern side of the Jordan. But then because of his sin, he's not allowed to cross the Jordan. He doesn't complete the work of exodus and conquest. He leaves, and nobody knows where he's buried. The Lord buries him. Yahweh buries him. And nobody knows the place of his burial till this day, Deuteronomy says, at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses vanishes, and then Joshua carries out the rest of the mission. And when Jesus vanishes behind the cloud, he's like a greater Moses, which puts the disciples in the role of Joshua. The 11 disciples, soon to be 12, the 11 disciples are like a collective Joshua who are going to carry out a conquest. Jesus has brought them to the edge of the promised land, but he hasn't led them into the promised land. He hasn't led the conquest. They're going to have to do that in his absence because the greater Moses has departed from his people, from his disciples. The disciples are like a collective Joshua. They're like a collective Elisha. Elijah also leaves the scene with his work apparently unfinished. There's things that he has already told Elisha he has to do. And Elijah won't be able to carry them out unless Elijah leaves. Elijah disappears, but he promises that Elisha, Elisha, if he sees Elijah leave, then Elisha will receive a double portion of his spirit, the, the firstborn portion of Elijah's spirit. And he does. And Elisha carries on the mission of Elijah and expands the mission of Elijah after Elijah goes away. The disciples are a collective Elisha who received the firstborn portion of the spirit of God to carry on the work of the great prophet Jesus. The the cloud that appears here, the cloud behind which Jesus disappears, is a clue to what's happening. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would disappear into a cloud of incense, into the most holy place, to sprinkle the blood that would cleanse the tabernacle and the entire system for another year. Jesus ascends and disappears behind a cloud because he's the great high priest, completing a great day of atonement, taking blood, his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood, not into an earthly sanctuary, but into a heavenly sanctuary, so that forgiveness of sins is now possible, because Jesus has gone away. That's why the apostles can preach the forgiveness of sins, because Jesus has departed. Jesus goes up in a cloud, just like the Son of Man in Daniel 7 the Son of Man who ascends on clouds to the Ancient of Days and receives authority and power and dominion over all nations and tribes and peoples. Jesus disappears into the cloud, the glory cloud that is hovering above the throne 
of God. He disappears into the throne of God, takes the throne of God. That has to happen if the apostles are going to continue Jesus' mission. It is, Acts is about the continuing works of Jesus, but he's determined that he's going to carry on those continuing works in absentia. He's going to leave, and he's going to leave his disciples to carry on his works for him by the power of his spirit. It's good, Jesus tells his disciples. It's good for you if I go away. They can't be the new Joshua. They can't be the armies of Israel unless Moses departs. They can't be Elisha unless Elijah departs. They can't inherit the kingdoms of the earth unless the Son of Man has ascended to the Ancient of Days and received all authority and dominion and power. Jesus' work is not done when he ascends. In a sense, it's just beginning. Because Jesus' work is not just to rescue us. Jesus' work is not just to secure our forgiveness. Jesus intends to make the rescued, us, into rescuers. He wins our forgiveness so that we can begin to forgive others. He raises the dead so that we can give new life to those around us, to the dead that surround us. He brings healing to make those who are healed into healers to carry on his mission. He's not satisfied with restoring the world. He makes us world restorers. He's not satisfied with being the last Adam. He restores us to the Adamic mission to rule and glorify his world. And in order for all that to happen, he needs to leave. You parents know what it's like to let your children have some independence from you. But you have to do it. It's frightening. It can be frightening. But you can't hover behind them. You can't hover over them always. You need to let them go and learn about the world on their own in your absence. They'll never grow up unless you do. If you're there to rescue them at every moment, they'll never grow up. Jesus wants us to grow up. And so he leaves. And he leaves us to carry on his continuing mission. This is, Acts is, about the continuing mission of Jesus, but it's a mission that he continues through his apostles and eventually through us, through all believers down through the ages. He trains them to carry out that mission. He trains them to be the continuation of his own action, to be the continuation of his own teaching. That's what the little exchange is here at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. The disciples ask, is it now, Lord, that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And we might think, oh, those stupid disciples, they're always getting stuff wrong. They don't understand anything. Now, even after Jesus' resurrection, even after 40 days of teaching, They're still filled with fantasies about Jesus taking a throne in Jerusalem and restoring Israel and overthrowing the Romans. We think the disciples have missed the point. Don't they know that Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom? Don't they know that Israel is being left behind? Those poor benighted disciples, we think. But that doesn't fit the scene at all. The question is a good one. And the disciples know why they're asking it, and Jesus does not dismiss the question. 
On the contrary, Jesus tells them that they are in fact, they, the eleven, are going to be the ones that bring the kingdom to Israel. The restoration of the kingdom to Israel is the mission of the apostles. That's what Jesus is saying in response to that question. He does say that they don't have any need to know the times or the epics. The Father has fixed those by his own authority. But then he goes on to say, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Everything Jesus says in there, every phrase of that sentence in verse 8, is taken from the prophet Isaiah. And everything Jesus says in that sentence, in those instructions to his apostles, have to do with the restoration of Israel. You will receive the Spirit. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes. It's from Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32 describes the ruin of Israel. It's turned into a wilderness. All of the cities are in ruins until the Spirit is poured out. And then the wilderness turns into fertile field and the fertile field into a forest. And Israel is restored and full of righteousness and peace. The Holy Spirit will come upon you means that they are going to be equipped by the Spirit to bring about the fulfillment of Isaiah's promise. They're going to restore Israel. You will be my witnesses. Yahweh speaks that to Israel again in Isaiah. And he tells them that they will be his witnesses before the nations. That's the mission of Israel, to be a witness in a great lawsuit before all the idols and nations of the world. And now the apostles are going to receive that same commission. By the Spirit, they are going to carry on Israel's task of being witnesses. And they're going to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that phrase, ends of the earth, is found in Isaiah 49. When the Lord says to Israel, you will be a light. It's not enough for me, the Lord says. It's not enough for me just to restore Israel. I want to make you a light to the Gentiles. So all the nations will be restored to me. Everything Jesus says in that, in those instructions comes from Isaiah, and all of it has to do with the restoration of Israel. The disciples want to know, is this a time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, don't worry about the timing, but your job is, in fact, to carry out the mission of Israel and to uh, and to restore Israel. That's the story of the book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem with Israel, with, with the apostles preaching to Jews in Jerusalem. On Pentecost, you have Jews from all over the Mediterranean world gathered together in one place. Peter addresses them as men of Israel. It's like a new Sinai. Pentecost celebrates the event at Sinai, the giving of the law at Sinai. And this is like a new gathering of Sinai, a new covenant being cut in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is being restored. Thousands of people in Jerusalem are being saved. Israel, Judea are being restored. When persecution begins, the apostles and others, uh, others, not the apostles, but others, uh, uh, including some of the seven deacons, flee from Jerusalem, and Philip goes off to Samaria. It's an odd place for Philip to go, because Samaria doesn't exist anymore in the first century. It It was destroyed and then rebuilt with a different name. But Luke wants us to remember the Old Testament city of Samaria, 
which is the capital of the northern kingdom. Philip goes to the capital of the northern kingdom, those tribes that left the house of David, and he preaches there, and they receive the word of the Lord, and they receive the new King David. They receive Jesus, and they receive baptism. So by by the time we get through eight chapters of Acts, we now have Judea and Samaria united under one Davidic king, Jesus, baptized together into one people. This is the restoration of Israel happening in the pages of the book of Acts. That's the mission of the eleven. But the restoration of Israel is never just for the sake of Israel. The purpose of reviving Israel when they're dead, the purpose of reuniting Israel and Judah when they're divided, isn't just to reunite them. It's to bring blessing to the nations, to fulfill the promise to Abraham. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts is about. In Judea and then Samaria, Judea and Samaria are joined together. And then together, this new Israel, this renewed Israel, carries on the mission of uh, that Israel was given in the Old Testament. Bringing the gospel, bringing the good news, bringing light and the word of the Lord uh, to all the Gentile world, to Antioch and to Macedonia, to Athens, to Rome. From Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, that is the restoration of Israel. That's everything Israel hopes for. The gift of the Spirit, the reunion of the people of God, the divided people of God, and the restoration of Israel to their task of shedding light to the Gentiles. Jesus describes this mission with the word witness. You will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To understand what Jesus is getting at, we need to not, we need to kind of detach ourselves from the way we use the word witness in the church. We use the word witness to describe evangelistic activity. Or we use the word witness or testimony to describe our own personal relationship with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with those activities, of course, but that's not what the word witness means in the Bible. In the Bible, witness is used in a legal sense. A witness is somebody who testifies in a courtroom. And that's what the Lord is talking about when he tells Israel back in Isaiah, you will be my witnesses. In the context, the Lord has decided, the Lord is prosecuting a lawsuit against the nations and against the gods of the nations. He's putting himself on trial, as it were. He's putting himself and the, and the idols of the nations on trial. He says, call your witnesses. All you idols, all you false gods, call your witnesses. See if they can testify to your power and to your compassion and to your goodness and to your justice. Well, idols can't do that. Idols can't call anybody. They have mouths, but they can't call out. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And everyone who worships an idol becomes like him. The idols can call witnesses, but they can't talk. They haven't seen anything because they're blind. They can't hear anything because they're deaf. The idols are losing this great court drama. They have no witnesses in their defense. So the Lord calls Israel. Israel can be his witness in his defense. But the problem is, in Isaiah, Israel's in the same state as the nations. They've been worshiping idols. And so they're blind and deaf and dumb. You can't be an eyewitness if you're blind. You can't be an ear witness if you're deaf. So how is God going to restore Israel to be a witness 
in his defense to vindicate him in the great courtroom and the great lawsuit of history. Where he vindicates himself by being faithful to Israel even when Israel is defiant, even when Israel rebels. And he also restores Israel to the, to the task of witness by restoring their sight, by opening their ears, by loosing their tongues. So that Israel can be faithful, a faithful witness in the great court drama of human history. That's what Jesus means when he tells the eleven, you will be my witnesses. They will testify to what Jesus has done for them. They will certainly carry out evangelistic campaigns. They will do evangelism. But that's all in the wider context of this great court drama, this lawsuit that God has brought against the idols. And the eleven and all of those who believe become witnesses to the faithfulness of God in that great court drama. They testify about God, and in doing that, they undermine all of the claims of false gods. The book of Acts is kind of famously unfinished. We don't really see any of the main characters in Acts come to the end of their lives. Peter disappears in the middle of the book. I don't know what happened to him, at least from the book of Acts. Paul, at the end of the book, is still around, but he's waiting trial. We've got 10 or 15 chapters leading up to a great trial scene where Paul's going to be appearing before Caesar, and it never happens. All the other characters come in and out of the story. Philip disappears. Stephen is killed, of course. Mary disappears after the first chapter. These characters constantly disappear. It's an unfinished book. But that's deliberate, of course. Because Luke is writing an unfinished history. Jesus didn't stop doing and teaching through his church when Peter and Paul and the other apostles disappeared from the scene. Jesus continues to do and teach right up to the present. And he's doing and teaching through us. We've received the same spirit that came on the apostles. We are witnesses in the great lawsuit of history. By our words and by our lives, we testify to the faithfulness of God and we prove the idols to be liars. And we shut the mouth of Satan, the accuser. We are witnesses. We're witnesses to the ends of the earth. By biblical standards, we live at the ends of the earth. And the gospel has come to us. This is still our mission. We, like the apostles, are still the continuation of Jesus' own mission, what Jesus continued to do uh, after his ascension. We need to keep that in mind, especially as we enter a new year. 2020, the year of the plague, we say. No. (laughs) It's the year of our Lord. As is every year since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended. Every year is just another year of the Lord. Every year is just another year when Jesus continues to act and to teach by his spirit through us. It was going on all through the past year. Might have forgotten about it, but it was going on. Jesus was continuing to do and teach. And whatever happens in 2021, you know it's possible 2021 could be worse. You know that's possible. 2020 wasn't the worst possible year. It could get worse. 
But it doesn't matter because Jesus is continuing to do and teach in 2021 as he did in 2020. This too is a year of our Lord. And it's our opportunity to be his witnesses here in our world and to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he continues to do and to teach and that we have the privilege of being his instruments, the instrument of his spirit, so that he continues to do and to teach through us. We pray that in the coming year we would be faithful in doing that, that we would be boldly witnessing to you in our words and our lives to shut the mouths of Satan, mouth of Satan, to cast down vain imaginations and idols, and to exalt and vindicate the name of our Lord Jesus and of you, our Father. We pray this for Jesus' sake, for his glory and honor. Amen.